All right, hey everyone, welcome back to the Ryan Clayton Podcast. Um, sorry, it's uh, been a uh, while since the last one, um, but uh, have been really busy and I've got a lot of stuff going on. But I have not forgotten about you guys, and I'm back. So just going to dive in and kind of give you guys a couple updates as to what's been happening over the last uh, couple weeks. Uh, I think I looked back and the last one was actually it was like in February. So I sincerely apologize that it's taken so long to get a new podcast up, but uh, I am back right now. So a couple updates since the last one. Uh, let's see here. Just a couple weeks ago, I filmed a race down in Southern Indiana as the Owen Putnam State Forest 50 mile 50k and it was awesome. Uh, it was so much fun. Um, and I'll kind of go into a little bit of that. I'll give you guys a few details and maybe we'll geek out about some gear on this episode a little bit. Um, but that has that honestly for a couple weeks before and definitely the couple weeks after has taken a ton of my time, um, in a good way. Like it's good to get some work like this. Um, but uh, man, yeah, it's been hard to do almost anything else, uh, these few weeks right around this race. Um, we'll see also, oh, also YouTube related. Uh, I had my first video hit 20,000 views, which is pretty cool. Uh, big milestone. That video was the Leadville video, um, where, uh, me and a couple other Indiana guys went out to Leadville, Colorado, up to 10,000 feet. And I paced, uh, my friend, John Truelove for the last 50 miles of the Leadville 100. So if you haven't checked out that video, go check it out. It's, uh, I liked it a lot. It's a pretty fun video to go back and watch. Um, some of these videos, uh, you know, are for me, uh, just, I forget half the stuff that happened. And, uh, so going back and watching these videos, it's really, really fun. Um, but yeah, go check that video out. There's also another video right on its heels, the, uh, run rabbit run 100 video. Uh, that's at almost 20,000 views as well. So pretty cool, uh, milestone to hit. Um, you know, I remember a couple years ago when I started this YouTube channel, just uh, hitting a hundred views on a video and just freaking out that, oh my gosh, like a hundred people watched this video. And it's just been really cool to see, honestly, the engagement and kind of what uh, people have been getting out of these videos. Uh, so it's really fun. So pretty cool. Thanks guys for watching those videos. Like I said, if you haven't, go check them out. Also, it is now pretty much the end of April, and I think winter is over. I think winter is gone. Uh, it seems to be. Uh, it seems to be that uh, this uh, warm weather is here to stay. Uh, we've had a couple a couple days here and there where it's hit seventy degrees. It's definitely spring though, still because we've got a lot of rain over the last um, couple weeks. But here in Indiana, it's pretty much kind of in the 40s and 50s all day, every day. Dips into the 30s at night. So that's what, honestly, it's making it hard to like run in the morning because, uh, you know, when you when your brain thinks that it's like, you know, 50s and 60s and maybe 70s, and then uh, in the morning you wake up and you check your phone right before a run, and it's like 38 degrees. It's not too fun. But yeah, anyway, it's warmed up. Uh, running outside is super fun again. Uh, the sun has been just a big boost. Um, there's clouds in the sky, like actual real clouds. The sky isn't just like gray all the time. Um, it's great. Spring is here. Um, but yeah, so those are just a couple, couple little updates uh, and just kind of tying you know, the last podcast to this one, uh, a lot has been going on. Uh, like I said, I announced in the last one that inside tracker is now sponsoring me this year. Uh, and that's been so cool. Like they've been honestly, uh, and I'll get into this here in a second, but 
they've been a huge, uh, huge help already to me. I think, uh, I've been able to change a few things, um, with my diet and the way I do things that, um, feel like they're helping already. Like I can already feel a boost. So that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, actually I'll just get into that now, honestly. Um, so what happens with inside tracker is it's a website that you go to and you kind of sign up for an account. Uh, and, uh, you basically, there's a couple different tiers, a couple different tests that you can, uh, purchase. And, uh, you just basically decide if you want kind of the, uh, the whole package, or if you want more like a little bit of a cheaper plan. Um, but basically what it is, is you're ordering, uh, you're ordering a blood test that you're going to go get locally. And then whatever hospital or clinic you go to is going to actually send the results to inside tracker. Inside tracker is going to interpret them and give you, um, kind of a summary back, uh, which is, uh, it's pretty sweet. Uh, it's so what happens is you go in there, you pay for it. Uh, they send you like a little, uh, printout and then you take it to like your local clinic. Uh, so I took it to one, there was, uh, a couple options, took it to one that wasn't too far away. Um, you have to fast for, I think they said like 12 hours before water only, uh, which isn't too hard if you can, uh, swing going in the morning. So that's what I did. This clinic opened at 7 AM. So I pretty much just, you know, uh, didn't have any snacks the night before, <laughs> uh, and went in early in the morning and was honestly in and out and then like less than 10 minutes, but that totally depends on what type of clinic you go to. Uh, easy, simple. They just, uh, took, I think five or six little small vials of blood. And then within about maybe like a week, uh, I got an email from inside trackers saying that my results were live on not live on the internet, but, uh, my results were up. And so I logged in and, uh, it, uh, kind of gave me some information that I kind of already knew, but also information that, uh, I didn't know too, which, uh, I'll kind of go over here. So basically a few things that I learned is that um, my inflammation is high, uh, which kind of makes sense uh, because of how much running I do, but also kind of doesn't make so much sense because I'm, you know, vegetarian. And I, uh, I just kind of assumed that uh, with the way I ate that my inflammation would be super low. Um didn't really, didn't really expect to get that result back. Uh, so that was kind of surprising, but, uh, yeah, it is what it is. Um, uh, so my inflammation was a little bit high. Um, my lipids were also high. Um, but that was because my cholesterol is low. Uh, so I kind of like read up on that, uh, and inside tracker gives you like a really, really good summary. And it's, it's basically, I mean, it's built for athletes, uh, really geared towards endurance athletes. So I was able to kind of get, uh, kind of like a, uh, athletic endurance athlete, um, kind of viewpoint on all of these results, which is really cool. Um, but basically having uh, low cholesterol probably mixed with, you know, it, it has to do with the amount of exercise I'm doing mixed with the way I eat. Um, basically, my lipids were too high and I didn't really know a whole lot about that, but I read into that a little bit. Also my vitamin D was super low, which also makes sense because I got this test right at the tail end of winter. And you know, like, I mean, at least here in Indiana, like not much sun at all <laughs> is shining on us. Uh, you know, I mean the sun would rise at eight o'clock in the morning. It would set at five 30 at night. So we really didn't have a whole lot of sunlight. So that kind of made sense. But, um, uh, also my creatine was high and I didn't really understand that, but kind of read into that. And that had to do with, uh, basically like muscle breakdown and just, uh, also kind of made sense for an endurance athlete, uh, kind of, you know, due to like basically exercise, uh, long runs, things like that. Also, my testosterone was low. Didn't really expect that, um, but 
then what they do is they give you uh, like a whole lot of advice on what to do. Uh, and so for me, uh, they encouraged me to take vitamin D. They encouraged me to take some amino acids, uh, BCAA uh, capsules, basically what they are. Um, they encouraged me to start taking a garlic supplement, um, some extra fiber in the form of psyllium husk. I think that's how you say it. Start taking magnesium, potassium, eating oats, uh, which I never really do. Uh, eating more nuts, which is cool. I love, uh, especially I got these, I got these new nuts that I actually, uh, so a podcast, maybe a year ago, two years ago, I don't know, uh, Rich Roll's podcast, he interviewed uh, this guy named, I think, Darren Olean, uh, and uh, he basically is producing, mass-producing these Baruka's nuts uh, and was fascinated by them, but uh, actually just ordered some. They were, they were pretty much always out of stock, but ordered some off their website a couple weeks ago, and they are amazing. Uh, I mean... Absolutely incredible. Uh, so that was cool. Uh, got some of those. Uh, and then also, I don't even really know what this is. It's a grain, but it's called TEF. Uh, they recommended that I get some of that and start mixing that in food. So I've been doing all that. And basically uh, what's going to happen is uh, I'm going to take these recommendations and start applying them daily uh, and go back and get another test here and I don't know, probably somewhere after my first hundred, uh, maybe some, somewhere around June, something like that. And then over the course of the year, just get tested a couple times and see if I can make any progress on any of these. And also, uh, basically be a guinea pig <laughs> for what happens when you run a bunch of hundreds in a year. Um, so that's pretty cool. Uh, they said when they were talking to me, they said that they, uh, they sponsor Mike Wardian. And so obviously he does this kind of stuff all the time, but they, he's obviously an incredibly, uh, uh, seasoned and elite athlete. Um, but what happens when kind of just a regular guy, uh, <laughs> does races like this? So they're fascinated. They're excited, uh, to get me on board. So, um, yeah, that's that. Um, I'm so excited to be working with them this year. So yeah, check out, I've got a link below if you want to check out Inside Tracker. Um, but I'll keep updating you guys like what my results are and everything. See if uh, I can make some movement on some of these um, uh, things that they found. So that's that. Um, also, I guess I'll just kind of talk a little bit about this race that I filmed uh, seems like uh, a lot of you guys are pretty interested in hearing some stuff around that. Uh, I had a lot of questions um, come in uh, basically on YouTube and social media and stuff about like gear and stuff. So I'll kind of get into that. Um, basically this race, it's a 50 K 50 mile. There's also a 14 mile option. Um, but it's uh, it was a couple hours away race director reached out to me and was like, Hey, we'd like to make a promotional video. Uh, would you like to help out with that? So I was like, yes, absolutely. Uh, so we kind of negotiated back and forth, uh, really quickly, actually, he was really, uh, and there wasn't a whole lot of negotiating, but we agreed that, uh, he would pay for, uh, any costs that I incurred. And then I would be able to keep the video, put it on my channel, uh, and I didn't mention anything about this, but I did an extra video for them because they're, I mean, they're just uh, really cool people. And so I, and I also, a couple weeks had gone by, so I put out a trailer last week, just a quick like two minute trailer, uh, just to kind of build some momentum and excitement uh, for the final film. Uh, and I don't know how long it's going to be, like maybe 15, 20 minutes or something like that. But anyway, moving back, uh, started reaching out to some of the people that were in the race. Uh, the race director, Jonathan Bowman gave me a couple names of people that he thought would be cool to interview. Cause I mentioned to him that I thought that would be a fun element, uh, to do some interviews. 
And then I could kind of layer those on top of in between, kind of spice up the race footage a little bit. So got in contact with, I think, eight people, uh, which once I started down this road, I realized that this was going to just be a lot of work. Uh, But I'm okay with that because this was kind of, um, I mean, this was exciting for me. This is an Indiana race. Uh, Some of these people I've actually raced with uh, and it was uh, just ended up being really fun. But Got in contact with all these people, set up a whole interview day the day before the race. So uh, these eight people came to the race early, and uh, we actually were able to secure two separate houses that were close to the race site uh, for filming in. And that was awesome, but like just... (laughs) uh, I don't know, man. Like, I, I like it was like these houses. One of them was uh, a guest house that no one had lived in for I think like six months. So we kind of walked in, and it was like, uh, it was great and everything. It was good, good to have a location, but it was like kind of like musty inside, and it was really dusty and everything. And we kind of moved. We so we moved a little bit of the furniture around, but luckily there was electricity in there, uh, so that was cool. Uh, cause we were able to set up the lights. Uh, but yeah, we, uh, interviewed a couple people at this first house and then real quick had to pack up, uh, and move to a second house. And that was, that was a house from another world. Um, and I should, I should mention that I also, I knew that this was going to be like a really big project and I wanted to get, uh, some help. So I asked one of my good friends, who's also a filmmaker, Tristan Yoder, uh, to come with me. And so uh, we kind of tag teamed this. And while I was doing a lot of the interview, question asking, uh, interacting with the subject, he was watching out for the cameras, making sure that they were still recording, that we were getting audio, that, uh, you know, if there was any noise in the background, that he was kind of watching out for all of that kind of stuff, which was awesome. And then the second day during the race, he helped out a ton with drone footage and just getting a lot of like B camera stuff. But let me go back to the second house we went to, uh, was so interesting. Um, the owner was, uh, this kind of older guy and he was really sweet up front, like just, just really nice guy. Um, but lots of rules uh, about what was going to happen. And so there was a really particular place that we had to park. And as I was parking, he came out and asked me to move like six inches to the right, which I was okay with. Uh, But it was just funny and kind of foreshadowing to how the rest of the uh, time at this house was going to go. And then uh, we walk into the house and right away, it's just like, there's sculptures and things hanging on the wall and it's a beautiful house like an incredibly beautiful house but um just packed with stuff uh just kind of chairs everywhere um not a whole lot of space to move around big house but just full of stuff um the stairway leading up uh just lots of stuffed animals everywhere on the stairway there was um i guess his wife was a author of some fantasy books and so there was all these posters and picture frames of like wizards and everything on the walls and everything. And so kind of uh, like this house, we had actually gotten a couple pictures of uh, prior to getting there, um, which was great. Um, but it was basically just like a picture of kind of like one half of the living room, uh, two separate angles of it. Uh, didn't see any of the rest of the house Um, and that's actually the direction that we ended up filming for the most part, because that was kind of the least, um, busy area, uh, of the house, but it was just, it was a, it was kind of a wild experience. Uh, you know, like me and Tristan, like we got in there and we started setting stuff up real quick because we only had like basically 30 minutes in between the time that the last interview ended 
and the time that the next interview was supposed to start and all these people are coming in, you know, they just, they had driven to the race site, they had checked in and now they're coming to the interview and they're ready to go eat dinner or check into their hotel or whatever. So we're trying to be really, really uh, courteous to all these people that were giving up their time to uh, come and be filmed and interviewed on camera. So we're real quick setting up all this stuff. And um, the owner was uh, watching every move we made. And he was kind of like in our space, uh, which was, again, fine, but just also very talkative. And me and Tristan were trying to talk about uh, how we were going to set up everything, how to film everything. And it was just a very interesting experience. Uh but again, really nice, super sweet guy. Like just uh, was really wanted to be involved in everything though. Um, and, uh, and just asking a lot of questions. And it was, it ended up being fine. Um, probably, um, yeah, I mean, it, it just ended up, it ended up being fine. Like spent a lot of time like talking to him and answering questions when we could have been setting up or preparing for these interviews, but it is what it is. He was gracious enough to let us into his house. Um, but it was just a, it was, it was a fun time. Uh, so we did all these eight interviews the day before. Um, and, uh, then checked into the hotel and just honestly just like wiped out. Uh, and we had filled up most of the memory cards. I think we brought eight memory cards that were 128 gigs each. Uh, and these cameras, uh, so I'll talk about the gear we're using. Um, like I own a Sony a seven three, so, um, I wanted to have two cameras. So I actually rented another Sony a seven three, um, and got some, um, got a tip from, so basically like I was, uh, messaging Michael Carson back and forth and just kind of talking to him. He does a lot of the videos for Air Viper and, uh, if you've seen like run steep, get high stuff, uh, mountain outposts, like all that stuff, uh, works with Jamil Curry, uh, just super cool guy. Just very, very nice filmmaker, um, makes a lot of good videos, but we're going back and forth and he had recommended, uh, two separate lenses to use the Sony bodice 25 millimeter and the Sony bodice 85 millimeter, both made for full frame camera, both prime lenses, like just wide open. I think it was like a 1.8, uh, aperture. And then like, I think 1.4 was the other one. Um, honestly don't remember, but, uh, I used both of those lenses, uh, the whole second day, the first day for some of the interviews. Um, I wanted my a camera to be at, uh, 50, millimeters. So, um, I used, uh, my Tamron lens that I have that as uh, a zoom lens. So, um, set that up as the A camera. The B camera was, uh, another Sony a7 III that had the 85 millimeter and that was kind of set off a little bit more towards the side. So both of the, all these interviews, we had two cameras rolling the whole time and both cameras had two memory cards in that the cameras were recording to both these memory cards simultaneously. Uh, so there was a backup memory card. Uh, you get the point. There was basically all of our footage was on two memory cards. So these eight cards, they filled up uh, over the course of the day. And then that night, like we both had our laptops and we were just trying to transfer all this footage to these external hard drives because we needed all of these memory cards for the day two uh, race day. Actually, the race, we needed to be able to shoot some footage of that. So we had to clear all the cards, get it all in the external hard drives. And that took forever because I have these uh, four terabyte Western digital hard drives. I have a couple of them, but they're, uh, they're not solid state. They're just regular old hard drives and it takes a long time to transfer. Uh, what did it end up being like almost, uh, like 400 gigs or no, it was like, it was only some, I don't know exactly how it worked, but it was like 200 and some gigs, uh, the first day and about 200 and some the second day. 
Uh, we ended up with, I think, like 550 gigs of unique footage uh, from the weekend, which is great uh, until you try to start loading it onto your computer <laughs> and then making duplicates and uploading it to Google for backup and making proxies, uh, which I'll, I'll explain all that here in a second. But yeah, so we crashed at the hotel day two, race day. We got up super early, got to the race site. The race started at 7 a.m., but it was still dark for the first like 30 or 40 minutes because uh, this was kind of middle of March. And um, we each brought our own drones. Uh, I have a Sony, not a Sony, I have a DJI Mavic Pro and he had a Mav or he had a DJI Phantom 3 something. Um, his had a little bit better low light capabilities. So at the start of the race, it was pitch black, but we sent that up into the air and got some really cool, like straight down shots of everyone lined up uh, at the race start. And then after the race started, you see just this long line of headlamps, like just kind of snaking through the woods and just a super cool shot. Uh, that I never could have gotten had I tried to do this race by myself um, because I had one of the Sonys on a glide cam and I was basically getting um, kind of like the A-roll footage of uh, people's faces like right before the start and then running with them kind of into the woods for the start of the race. So never would have been able to send a drone up into the air and just confidently like left it up there, like in the pitch black. <laughs> um, yeah. So really, it was really great to have two people filming. Uh, but then once they, once they go off and once they start running, we just kind of basically just got in the Jeep and we're driving from aid station to aid station. And this race was actually set up in an area that had roads, <laughs> Uh, so that was cool. Like we were able to actually take real, um, not pavement, but they were gravel and dirt roads, uh, to each of the aid stations. Didn't have to do a ton of hiking. Like you pretty much just drive the Jeep right up to the aid station, uh, park it there and then get out and run around, uh, go up and down the trails a little bit, follow people, uh, get a lot of the aid station shots. Um, but yeah, just kind of throughout the day, just hopped around from aid station to aid station back to the start finish line. Cause this was a looped course. So all the runners were just, you know, uh, I think the 50 mile was like maybe three loops or something. 50 K was a variation of the two loops and the 14 miler was just one loop. So however that works out, I think it kind of it works out somehow. Um, but yeah, it was uh, just a really fun experience uh, being able to, uh, you know, shoot another race. This is now, I think, the, I don't know, fifth race I've done maybe uh, this way. And just honestly, my processes and procedures are just getting so much better every time I do this. Uh, just, I really uh, am getting the hang of it, like... It's, uh, I'm able to plan a lot better. I'm able to execute a lot better. And I've got just some amazing content for this video. I'm really excited to get it out, but it's just this like mammoth project to try and edit. Uh, and throughout the day, like nothing really went wrong, which is a good thing for the race director. It's a good thing for the runners. It's a good thing for everybody but it's not so great for a filmmaker trying to make a dramatic uh race video uh i mean it was honestly it was like the best weather that they've had in years it was uh nobody got like lost or um there was no like freak outs or flip outs uh there was pretty much just like no drama it was just like a really chill uh midwest like beat you up ultra marathon in the woods, uh, lots of vertical gain, lots of mud. This place is, that's one of the, one of the actually interesting parts of 
that I'm probably, hopefully, will be able to communicate in this video is that this specific area, the woods, there's a bunch of like natural springs in this area. So it's muddy like year round. Doesn't matter if it hasn't rained in six months, like it's going to be muddy here. Um, so it hadn't rained in maybe a week or two. So it was kind of like minimal mud for this area, but it was still just super incredibly muddy. Uh, people like if you didn't, if, if your legs weren't covered from the knee down, you were probably weren't doing this race, right? <laughs> You're probably not on the actual trails, uh, because everyone was just caked in mud, uh, which is makes this race super hard because there's a lot of vertical, um, short hills, but just relentless, endless hills, but also super muddy. So you get your shoes stuck. Uh, it takes just a ton more effort to run and hike and walk or crawl through this mud. Um, so that makes this race a little bit unique, but you know, like I was saying, like from a filmmaker's perspective, uh, you want, you want some like juicy story to happen during the day and really nothing really went wrong or not any like really, uh, not any like dramatic story to kind of like that I can, you know, like focus in on and create the film around that. Like it's really just everything went right. Uh, so it's going to be a little bit more challenging in that way that I'm going to have to like really dig into these interviews and really be able to pull out, uh, the stories from there, uh, to create an engaging film. Cause I, I don't know about you guys, but, um, I, you know, like three, four five years ago, um, all these, the race videos that was just like pretty footage, even really cool footage of like with a uh, gimbal or stabilizer, uh, like running through the trails. Like that was just like, it was mind blowing because like we'd never had uh, videos like this. And the fact that people were making them on YouTube, it was incredible. Uh, and typically, you know, they just had like loud music blasting on top of like a, just a track on top of all of this footage. But that was incredible. Uh, cause we'd never had anything like that, uh, you know, four five, six years ago, even two or three years ago. Like that was still like, I would watch those videos and just like salivate over the trails and just like really like just loved them. Um, but now like, I don't know if it's just me or if the landscape in trail running film making is just changing a little bit, but I, I really like, I'm so used to being able to see that type of footage now that the video has to be kind of engaging for me, uh, to actually watch the whole thing. And so if there's not kind of like a story in it, or there's not at least like people talking or anything like that. Like it actually kind of makes some of these videos that are being put out now kind of hard for me to watch that are just like, it could be, it could be the most beautiful, you know, it could be footage of that, uh, UTMB like in the Alps. But if it's just kind of no story and just blasting music, I'm, I'm not going to finish watching the video. And so that's the challenge for me is to make this film engaging you know, put these people's stories out there and make it a film that someone uh, who's not into trail running can watch and enjoy and make it something that, you know, someone who's run 50, 100 milers and uh, run this race 20, 30 times because this race has been around for like almost 30 years. This was the 28th, I think, running of it. Uh, so to make it engaging for even someone like that, that's the challenge I have here. So, you know, I just think, I mean, it could just be me. Uh, it could just be me that I don't like uh, really watching these types of videos anymore. That's just, I just feel like it's been done a hundred times. Um, I feel like if I'm going to sit and invest my time and maybe I just don't have enough time. <laughs> to watch a lot of, uh, YouTube videos anymore. But like, if I'm going to invest 
five to 10 to 15 or 20 minutes into sitting and watching a YouTube video. Um, there's gotta be some sort of story there. So that's that. Um, but you know, there's a lot of just, uh, incredible people out there making trail running films. And I hope to be able to contribute to that, uh, to that landscape. Uh, so that was basically the race, uh, kind of as far as gear goes, I explained the cameras and lenses. I use a glide cam for my stabilized shots. I don't have a gimbal. I used to have, I went through three different brands of gimbals for my GoPro, which the GoPro was not used at all on this film. So don't worry. Uh, I bought and returned, I think, two or three different kinds of gimbals for like DSLR or mirrorless cameras. Um, just none of them really worked great. I think the only one that's out there right now that can really work great for running fast through trails is the DJI Ronin, like the big, huge contraption. Uh, not the Ronin S like one handed thing. I don't think that's really even strong enough. I think you have to have the two motors that's on just the regular Ronin, but that thing is a beast to set up and to transport. And if you want to set it down, good luck. You got to hang it somewhere. You can't set it down. And plus it's like over a thousand dollars once you get the batteries and everything. So that's like the only one that I think is really worth it. And I'm not going to, I'm just not going to invest in one of those at this point. Might rent one uh, for a project here in the future, but uh, I don't know about that. Uh, maybe. Uh, for right now, I'm using the GlideCam, which is actually, uh, it's really hard to use, but once you learn how to use it, you can get some incredible footage that is actually impossible to get with a, uh, with a gimbal because you can just move it's so fast. Uh, you can pan left and right up and down. Like you can whip back and forth. Like you can just get some incredible fast, uh, just really controlled shots that are just impossible with a gimbal because of just the way they move. So I really, really like the glide cam. Uh, the only problem is even with the amount of practice that I've put in to using it, I'm still not like, um, really totally satisfied with the footage I get out of it. There's still, it still wobbles here and there, or there's some, you know, bouncing to it that I don't like. Uh, maybe I'm just being too critical of my own footage, but it's really, really hard to use. Uh, if you want to see someone that uses a glide cam super well, just YouTube Devin Graham. Uh, he's, um, just incredible uh makes some really cool videos not really running related but uh he's incredibly talented with the glide cam and that's the level of stuff that you can do just things that things that really aren't possible with gimbals um plus there's no batteries once you set it up it's set up you can shove it in a suitcase uh you can strap it to the <laughs> The top of a car if you have to like it's it's just a really um really tough robust uh piece of gear probably not going to break it ever um even if you dropped it like crazy it's just not it's just it's just a very uh robust piece of gear i think i already said that but i love it it's just difficult learning curve but I would recommend it uh, if anybody's interested in uh, filmmaking. Um, if you get a glide cam, just get a cheap one first. Uh, you can get you can get like a you know like a no name glide cam uh, sort of uh, piece of gear off Amazon for like fifty or sixty bucks. But if you actually want a good one, there are a couple hundred. Uh, but once you get it, it's like I said, no batteries to ever charge, um, just a solid piece of gear. So I use that, um, microphones. I have a Rode video mic pro that I put on the top when I've got it on the glide cam, uh, with the 
that was, that was camera. So camera A is just a Sony a7 III with the Sony Bodice 25 millimeter Rode Video Mic Pro, all that connected to a glide cam. So it's a really lean setup, very like not much to it. Just, uh, just there's always two memory cards in the camera. So that's that. Uh, the camera B setup was also a Sony a7 III. And I've got like a small rig cage that has a left hand handle, one of those wood handles. It's got a top handle. And then there's a, uh, I also put a microphone um, clip on it. And the microphone I use is the Sennheiser, I think it's the MK600 shotgun mic. Um, Really nice mic. Uh, I put the windscreen on it. And then on that camera, we had the Bodice 85. And also kind of every once in a while switched it out for the Tamron 25, 28 to 75. So I could get like a zoom lens on there. But 98% of the day, we had the 85 on it. And that just gives just, it's just a really awesome perspective. Like you can be, um, you know, 15, 20 feet away from somebody. And since it's basically, I mean, it's, uh, 85 millimeter, like you feel like you're a lot closer, but then also the, uh, aspect of the background, the, the way that that, uh, focal length shows, uh, faces and just everything. Like, it's just, it's a really awesome focal length. So use that a ton. There's going to be a ton of B roll footage that has that lens on it. And, um, yeah, that's basically everything. The two drones, I already talked about those. Um, hard drives, SD cards, all of that. Um, yeah, that's basically it. Um, all driving around the Jeep. Uh, we got some kind of cool footage of me like splashing through like these deep, this deep water crossing. And it was probably like, probably like a foot, maybe two feet deep. And I just like kind of floored it and went through it. And so... I think that's going to end up in the video at some point. <laughs> but yeah, like I said, right now I've just got this like mammoth uh, project ahead of me and editing this and putting the story together is just going to be crazy. So it's going to happen. I just need to, um, I just need to, I just need to do it. And uh Yeah. That's that. So that is the story of filming at the Owen Putnam State Forest. Uh, 50-50 is what it's called. Yeah. I'm pivoting to um, some stuff about my races and also kind of why I'm recording a podcast tonight and not camping in my Jeep. Uh, so start off right now. I'm five weeks away from the first hundred of the year, which is the Kettle Moraine 100 and, uh, super amped. I feel good about it. Um, like my training has been going okay. Um, but recently, um, some things out of my control, uh, have been happening, um, you know, I think partially due to maybe some miscalculations I've made, um, but also just due to kind of luck of the draw, I think. Uh, basically, I'm dealing with a little injury right now. Uh, the reason why I'm recording a podcast at my house right now is because I, uh, well, tomorrow I'm supposed to be running 40 miles. <laughs> There's this race that I'm signed up for. It's the Glacial Esker 40 Mile. It's up in northern Indiana. Uh, it's called that because there used to be glaciers up there. Um, but it's a 40-mile race on at Chain Lakes State Park. It's a 20-mile loop. It's actually the same exact course, loop, and race company uh, that puts on the Indiana Trail 100 that's in October. So really good people, uh, really good race, like just over the top aid stations, like just 
like they're kind of legendary, like in Indiana for just how well run these races are. And, uh, the, the volunteers and the aid stations are just top notch, but yeah, I'm supposed to be running 40 miles tomorrow, but I'm not because I'm dealing with some pain in my knee and I'm not sure how serious it is. (laughs) Uh, basically, so three weeks ago, uh, I was running a, I was just doing kind of just a regular old 20 miler, um, which is kind of funny to say now <laughs> a couple years ago, that would have been insane to say, but I was doing a 20 miler on a Saturday morning and started to have some pain in my right knee, uh, at about mile 18 and was kind of worried, but didn't really think about it too much because it's also something that's happened in the past. Uh, the last couple years that I can remember kind of early on in the spring or summer, like, you know, you'd always just get a little few aches and pains here and there as you're ramping up your miles. Um, but specifically I had felt this before in my knee and it would typically just go away after a week or two. Like I would have it for a few runs and then it'd be gone. So I didn't think anything of it. Um, and then the next week did another 20 miler and this one I was actually running like with, uh, some other guys, uh, and right around like mile 10, the pain kind of came back and I was like, crap. And I, I told them about it. Uh, and so we, you know, walked a little bit more than we probably had planned on, uh, walking just like a few, a few minutes here and there, but finished the run. Everything's fine. Like it just a little bit of pain in my knee. Well, the next Saturday to another 20 miler, uh, this was on my own and at like mile 17, uh, well pretty early on, like maybe mile two or three, I felt this pain come back in my knee and I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Like this run, I don't want this run to be ruined. Honestly, that's all I was thinking about was that this current run was going to be ruined. Um, I wasn't really thinking too much into the future, although, you know, as the day went on, I kind of started thinking more and more about all these races that I've got planned. So mile three, it started hurting a little bit and it's basically like a pain that's like, it's inside my knee. It's, you know, definitely, I don't think it's muscular. It's kind of, there's a, sometimes there's a little bit more of like an acute pain, like on the outside of my knee, kind of like basically, you know, where two major bones come together inside your knee, like on the inside, it just felt like there was just some extra pressure in there that wasn't supposed to be there. Uh, and then every once in a while, the pain would kind of center around the outside of my knee. Um, and then, Also, as the day went on, it started to hurt when I was putting weight on it, but then also when, you know, basically like right in between steps. So like when my leg was fully extended back and probably there was almost like negative pressure on the knee because of my leg going backwards, it also hurt then. And that was also concerning because now it wasn't just pain from taking a step, but there was pain in between the steps too. And then around mile like 17, uh, it just kind of completely locked up and like all the muscles around my knee, um, my calf, like my quad, my, uh, hamstring, just everything kind of over the course of like maybe 10 seconds, just kind of like seized up. And I wasn't, it wasn't cramping or anything. It was just like all of a sudden, my leg stopped. (laughs) It just, and I don't know exactly what happened. Uh, It was just, the pain wasn't even really that great. It was just all of a sudden my leg just like locked up. It was just kind of like an annoyance. You know, I could, I could deal with that. I could put it in the back of my mind. Like I felt a lot of different kinds of pains while running. Uh, And this was just, it just kind of felt like another one that just wasn't going away. Uh, so 
that was really concerning. I actually had to stop running and took some time like on the side of the trail and just kind of stretched out a little bit. And, uh, basically the next like three miles, just kind of like walk ran it into the G uh, into the car. I always call it a Jeep, but I don't know. It's a car. It's a vehicle, whatever. Uh, but yeah, made it back and was like seriously freaking out. Uh, because this is now it's not anymore like a mild annoyance that has happened for a couple of weeks. It's also something that's been getting worse over the last three weeks. And now it's something that actually stopped me in the middle of the trail. Uh, so freaking out legit right now. Uh, you know, drive home next day, I go back out to the trails and, uh, actually changed up one thing. So I changed up the shoes I was wearing. I had been over the last month or two months, been wearing the ultra superiors. Uh, well this, the day after my knee locked up, I went out in the temps, which have probably close to like twice as much cushion as the superiors and was able to do eight miles. And it was definitely a little bit painful, but never locked up like no pain that actually stopped me from running. It was just, it just hurt. That's all. Uh, so had a little bit of encouragement from that, but then ever since then, over this last week, I've just been icing every night. I've been putting this stuff on called tiger balm, which is like kind of like an herbal, uh, rub, but it's also got, um, just some different things in it, like some menthol and stuff. So it's kind of like icy hot. If you ever heard of that, it's basically just like, it makes the area like really cold, uh, and there's also like a pain reliever element to it. So that's been helping a lot. I've been putting that on two or three times a day. Um, but yeah, I just don't know exactly what it is. Uh, and so going into this weekend, I've had increasing pain over the last couple 20 milers I've done. And this weekend, tomorrow, I'm supposed to run 40 miles. <laughs> And so didn't have a whole lot of confidence this whole week. Um, and then kind of all day today while I was at work, I was just debating. I wrote out a pros and cons list uh, for uh, running this race tomorrow. And the option to not run the race had a lot more pros than the option to run the race did. There was a lot of cons. There was, um, you know, it's just pretty much the reasons to run the race was just because I was stubborn. <laughs> uh, didn't want to not show up. Uh, but then I was also excited uh, to go run these trails and to see all these people and a lot of people I know um, get some good experience out on the course. You know, I kept convincing myself that, okay, this is a 20 mile loop. So you can go out there and just stop at 20 miles if you're feeling pain. Um, and that kind of sounded like a good idea for a while, but in reality, it's not, it, I came to the conclusion that that's not a good idea because first of all, what happens if at five miles I need to stop? Like, it's just, it's really not my day. My knee is really hurting, something's seriously wrong, and what if I have to stop at five miles? I can't. Like, there's no there's no road back. There's no quitter's road that's, like, half a mile long to get back to uh, where I parked. It's a big loop through a state park, and it's a 20-mile loop. So the farther out you go, the farther you got to come back. Uh, but then also, you know, what happens? Okay. So say it's feeling good for 20 miles, but you know, close to the end, it's not so great. Uh, what happens when I get back to the, after that first loop, like, am I going to have the self-control to be able to stop and just not continue the race? I don't know. So ultimately deciding 
because of the way the course is laid out, because also it's a two and a half hour drive. So there's going to be five hours wrapped up at least in just travel. Um, but ultimately deciding not to go, um, I'm just kind of afraid that I would push myself too hard. I think that, you know, this weekend is probably a weekend where I need to really just take whatever my knee gives me, whether that means four miles or 40, (laughs) but I need to be able to stop if I have to stop. And if I put myself into a race situation, I'm just not entirely confident that I would have the self-restraint and the, the sense to just to stop. Like, I don't know if I could, um, I've never dropped out of a race. I don't, and I also don't want, I don't want the first time I ever drop out of a race (laughs) to be right before, uh, a hundred miler, because I think that would also play some, I think that would be some like just major head games, uh, during a hundred miler. If, you know, a few weeks before I dropped out at halfway, eh, it wasn't so bad. You know, maybe I'll drop out halfway of this race. You know, I don't want that stuff going on in my head. So that was part of the reason. Yeah, but mainly it's just, it's two loops of 20 miles. What happens if I need to stop at five? What happens if I need to stop at 17? What happens if I need to stop at 22? Like there's just, there's no good way to do it on this course. So um, I decided about, five o'clock this evening that I'm not driving two and a half hours tonight. I'm not camping. I'm not running a race tomorrow. And it sucks. Like this really, this sucks. Like this is a, this is a hard, hard decision. Um, you know, I've kind of been encouraged, uh, as I've been thinking about it, there's a few other kind of prominent people out there, um, that have big dreams and are, putting them on hold for now, uh, because of injuries. One of them is Candace Burt. And I'd really just like, uh, her blog post that she posted today, uh, just really, it also, I mean, it made a big impact on me feeling like I had, um, I don't know how you want to say it, like the power or the self-control to, uh, say no to a challenge. Cause I'm an ultra runner. Like, that's how I'm wired is to, you know, look at these hundred mile races and say, sure, I can do that. Like I'm wired to just do crazy hard things. And so looking at a 40 miler tomorrow with a little bit of an injury, maybe it's more serious than I know. I'm not sure, but I'm not wired to say no. Uh, and just the way she wrote this blog post, um, basically if you don't know, she's planning on starting the Arizona trail this week and she was going to try to break the FKT. It's an 800 mile trail and she was going to try to run in between 50 and 60 miles a day over the next, I don't know how many days, but, uh, 16, 17 days to break the FKT on the Arizona trail. But she's been having some injury problems as well. And she just decided to put that dream on hold. And so I was really just encouraged by that, uh, by her decision and just, cause she is way more socially prominent and out there than I am. And there's a lot more people that are following her and probably putting pressure on her to do things like this. And she had the courage and the strength to say, no, I'm putting this on hold and that just really encouraged me a lot to be able to put this on hold this race tomorrow because I'm not so worried about kind of about the social stuff. Uh, I don't really have a whole lot of pressure from anybody. Um, I'm kind of out there on social media and YouTube and stuff and I have a podcast, but there's not, there's no one out there that's like pressuring me. So I don't want to, uh, misrepresent this situation that I'm in. Uh, 
it's more of an internal pressure where I just really feel like I want to do that because I want to do that. And I don't want to quit this thing. And I want the challenge. I want to go out there. I want to suffer. Like I want to run an ultra so bad right now. Like I want to just get out there in the woods and the wilderness and just be crushed. Like I want to, I want that. And it sucks saying no to it. Uh, but I feel like once I crossed that threshold, you know, when you're thinking about a decision to make, there's a point when you take a stand in your own mind and you say, I'm going to make this decision and here, here it is. Once you cross that threshold, like for me today, there was just a great sense of peace (laughs) that came over me. And I just, I felt like I was making the right decision and that made me feel good. And I felt like, okay. Um, but it still sucks. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's no real other way to say it. (laughs) It just sucks. Injuries suck. They're, they, they're, you know, I, I mean, thank God I've never had an incredibly serious injury, but, uh, the injuries that I have had have just been mentally just draining and demoralizing. And, uh, you know, for me, that's been the hardest part is saying no to things, putting things on hold, feeling, you know, inadequate, like with myself, feeling like a quitter. Um, yeah, but I feel like I am making the right decision. So yeah, I just wanted to kind of explain all that and kind of explore that with you guys. Um, I know that nothing good can happen by running this race tomorrow if I'm actually injured. If this is actually a serious issue, there's absolutely nothing good that can come from running an ultra tomorrow. Uh, Whereas, you know, sticking around close to home and, you know, going out to some trails that have like a shorter loop, um, where I can bail early if I have to, there's a lot more good that can come from that. So that's what I'm going to do. Um, yeah. Anyway, that is the story of why I'm here right now recording this podcast. So, you know, like I wasn't planning on having extra time tonight, but I did. So I thought I would kind of connect with you guys again. uh, A lot of you have been asking when the next podcast is coming and thank you so much for reaching out to me. Uh, It's here and you just listened to it. (laughs) Um, But yeah, uh, pretty soon, uh, I'm going to probably, hopefully sit down, uh, with my good buddy, John and talk about all things Midwest, uh, super slam. Cause he's doing it too. We're five weeks out. It's happening. It's coming crashing down on us. And, uh, we're going to go through all the details and he's going to, uh, hopefully if we can arrange a meetup, Uh, He's just going to kind of walk through the whole thing and kind of what to be ready for and uh, how to handle um, like uh, the recovery, the mental side of it, physical side of it, and uh, the planning. Um, This is a lot of races. It's a lot of miles. So hopefully that'll be coming sooner rather than later. Um, But yeah, lots of cool stuff happening on YouTube. Um like I said, this film's coming out. I honestly, there's a major thing going on that, uh, some negotiations back and forth right now. Um, really amazing opportunity for me, uh, coming up having to do with filmmaking, but can't talk about it yet because it is not set in stone. Uh, negotiations are going back and forth. Things are changing. Um, yeah, that's all I can say about it, (laughs) but hopefully very soon I'll be able to tell you guys about a really cool project that 
I've got coming up. Um, as soon as it's really planned out, I will. But yeah, that's it for now. Uh, thank you guys so much. Uh, I One thing that I am going to do, okay, I'll tell you this. One thing, I've actually got maybe like a couple questions that I was going to kind of go through and answer, but I wanted to keep this podcast close to like an hour, uh, so I'm going to save that for another one. But that's something that I want to start doing regularly is uh, doing like a question and answer segment. Uh, So if you have a question, uh, reach out to me on Twitter or Instagram or YouTube, and I'll be collecting uh, some of the more, whether it's training or filmmaking or uh, anything else. Uh, Ask your questions and I'll answer some of them on this podcast. So that's it. I've also got some cool, uh, there's some really cool like research studies that have been going on and have been coming out uh, centered around like endurance sports. And so I'm going to kind of go over, I'm kind of reading through and studying a couple of them right now. Um, And I will be updating you guys on some of those uh, soon. And then, as I said before, uh, be following up and letting you guys know progress with uh, my blood tests, with Inside Tracker, and everything that's going on with that. But yeah, thank you guys so much for uh, listening to this podcast. Uh, thank you for supporting me. Thanks for all your comments, questions, and I will talk to you guys again soon. Bye.